Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And we've been looking for the last several weeks at each of us around our imaginary table and imaginary microphones, uh, call stories uh, in each of what that looks like in our own formative years. And then we sort of took a turn last time at how our sense of calling to ministry changes over time. And Erica shared with us some of the the ways that call has changed and her sense of ministry has changed from place to place and how it is continuing to change as she's in the in the midst of a transition in ministry um so today sarah you had said you'd be willing to share some of how your journey of call has changed over the years of your ministry what can you tell us yeah so i feel like my my sense of call has changed a lot um i've been a pastor for about seven years now um, I served for a couple of years in Iowa, uh, and my spouse, by the way, is also a pastor, and that's important because I felt like my first call was a very healthy call. I like it was a good fit. Um, we worked well together, um, but Russ needed to have a call that was a good fit for him too, and he didn't really and also our calls were so far apart that he was in the car for almost two hours every day he went down there like an hour there and an hour back and we had a little baby at home and so it wasn't sustainable so we put in our paperwork uh which in the lutheran church pastors fill out a rostered leader profile and then congregations fill out a very similar set of paperwork pretty much just saying who they are what they're looking for in a pastor, you know, all that good stuff that a pastor might want to know before they even agree to interview at that church. So we'd put in our paperwork and I was going to go on family leave for a couple months because I felt like my first year as being a mom, I didn't feel like I ever really recovered from childbirth and I needed some time to just be a mom and to not try to balance being a parent and being a pastor for a little while to just focus on my oldest son and to bond with him better. Um, So we moved to the area where Steve and Erica now are. And I was a stay-at-home parent for about four or five months um, before I called up the bishop and I said, okay, it's time. I need to get back into ministry. I really miss this part of my life. And also uh, we need the money. (laughs) Like we've kind of flown through all of our savings. We, I, I need a job. Um, what do you have for me? And he kind of, he called, he had me come up and visit him in his office and he laid out like two choices, neither of which were full-time, which is what I was looking for. Um, and, but one of them sounded really intriguing. It was a, it was a hope for the synod, they were trying to form a cooperative ministry of these three sites, uh, three congregations, worship communities in um, around Indiana, Pennsylvania. And there was already a pastor on board who was going to be quarter time and they were looking for somebody else to fill out that rest of the time and be three quarter time. And so I said, okay, I am willing to be in conversation with, with these folks and we'll see where it goes. And so disclaimer, so if you are listening to this, this is my perspective of what happened. Um, If you ask my colleague or if you ask 
somebody who is in those congregations, they're probably going to give you a completely different perspective. But this is what how I understood it and viewed it. Um, they hadn't gone through the normal ELCA process. They did not have their set of paperwork um, because they hadn't gone through that process. It was a very quick turnaround of the synod saying, hey, you all need ministers. These pastors are here. They are willing to be your pastors. Here's the agreement. Do you agree with this? Let's all sign it and you'll have pastors and these pastors will have a call. And I was still a new enough pastor that at that time, I was just like, this is great. Oh man, this is going to be amazing. But since they never got the opportunity to process this, to go through the process, we never saw eye to eye. And it took me a very long time to realize that we weren't seeing eye to eye. And it was very difficult because leadership weren't in agreement as to what they wanted from their pastors, nor did they really have a very clear view of who was in charge of what, what people's roles were. Because there were two of us, there were three communities and all three worship communities had their own like board or a council, all of whom had different agendas, different wants, different needs. And so it was very quickly like, well, who gets priority? And how are you going to like, like, and so to them, it was like, well, clearly I person, you know, A in congregation C, I, my wants and needs should have priority because I donate X amount of money to this ministry or what have you. But it was a very, it wasn't the healthiest place to be. And I, the pandemic happened about halfway through this. And that just sort of made everything worse um, because suddenly communication was harder. There was less of a sense of fellowship because we weren't like together. Um, there was also different priorities for how safe should we be? What are the precautions we should take and why? Uh, my colleague and I were wanting to be extra safe because he had health issues and I had two very small children at home and the congregation wanted to be a little bit more open about like oh yes we should have in-person worship right now and masks are silly or you know whatever like there was lots of different opinions in lots of different places and um and so I was feeling very like the health and safety of my family doesn't seem to be a priority here and that's very hurtful, as well as there were some very direct bullying attacks again on my family. Um, so like we were very much struggling in this place. Um, and that's not to say there was also lots of good things happening in these congregations. I formed lots of really good relationships and, you know, good things happened while I was there. But there was also all of these other things that weren't good and was a huge struggle. And so the time finally came that my spouse and I said, all right, his congregations 
are in the process of no longer working together. So he can't be there anymore. This is a good time. We're just going to put in our paperwork again and we're going to both move instead of just him moving that. And there wasn't really anywhere else for him to go in our area. So, you know, it was one of those, it's, it's time to leave. And so as part of my leaving, I called up my, the new bishop, not the bishop that placed me there, but like his um, successor and said, Hey, I would like to do individual confession forgiveness. Um, because I feel like there was lots of things that I could have done better if I had been aware that they were happening when they were happening. And then by the time I was aware of what was happening, it was too late to do whatever. So I, I needed to do confession forgiveness. And I'm so glad I did because he gave me the parting wisdom of, you can let this go. You are forgiven. But remember what happened here and use this learning to inform your next ministry. And so I held on to that of, you know, all of this feeling of being blindsided and having these congregations not going through the process and not knowing enough about who they were as a cooperative ministry working together and how that impacted me, their pastor. And so we moved again. And so I'm now in my third call. Um, I'm at a small congregation right outside of Philadelphia, which is really close to my spouse's family. So we have family support for the first time since having, since moving to Pennsylvania, which has been really, really nice and helpful. And I can't recommend living near family enough. Um, but I'm now in a smaller congregation. It is a single point, And I am only there 20 hours a week. So I agreed to be their pastor and they agreed to be my congregation. And I kind of gave myself six months to just be their pastor. Um, but I knew that eventually I was going to have to seek additional employment because again, we need to keep putting food on the table for our kids. Um, so I was, I, I remember one Tuesday I had tech study and it was on Zoom with the other pastors in my conference. And the dean of my conference uh, is the one that hosts it on Zoom. So he goes to the actual location where a couple of people can go to, but it's way out of my way. So I don't, I'm on Zoom. And um, I had to leave a half an hour early and I was apologizing, apologizing. I was like, I can only be here for a little bit and then I'm going to have to go because I have an interview at Walmart. And he goes, Walmart? Are you, are you looking for more work? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have an interview for Walmart. They want me to be one of the people that goes and like shops for people and then takes the food out to their car. And he goes, I have work for you, Sarah. Don't, don't go working at Walmart. I have work for you. And I was like, really? You have work for me? Like, oh, what kind of work? And so the first thing you wanted to talk to me about was joining the Vitality team, which is not paid. So not exactly what I was looking for. It's unpaid work. Um, but it was being part of a team to walk with congregations who are realizing that, hey, we, we don't have Vitality here. We are just kind of walking in place. 
how can we start being viable again? How can we start having energy again? How can we start looking for what God is calling us to do? And like, I found that like very exciting of being able to, you know, talk with congregations. Um, In particular, they wanted me to come on board because I have experience in different styles of ministry other than just one pastor for one congregation. And um, so, cause that's happening more and more in this synod and they want to be able to like lift up op- options for congregations who realize we can no longer support a full-time pastor by, by ourselves. Um, and so I can go as somebody who's experienced what that's like to share my story and to, you know, let them be aware of here are some struggles that you may come up against, but here are some things that you could try to avoid those struggles, which is mostly talk to each other, like, and be honest when you're talking, like, don't just say something you think people want to hear to make somebody feel better, but actually be honest about what you're thinking and feeling and experiencing. And so that's been a lot of fun, but again, not paid and I needed paid work. Um, So then my dean talk to me about some options about, oh, well, would you want to work with this congregation who just kind of needs somebody there to be there on Sunday morning and to do some pastoral care? They're not really doing outreach anymore, um, but they're close enough that you might be able to work it out on Sunday morning so you can be both at your called church and at this church. And I was like, uh, no, I don't really want to do that. I want to do outreach. I want to do stuff other than chaplaincy work. Um, And so then the other option was becoming an interim consultant. And so that's what I ended up doing. So in this synod, they have a very strong network of interim ministry, which is transitional ministry, which, so if you haven't heard that term, it's, um, there are interim pastors who they will come in after a pastor has left Um, either by retirement or they've moved on to another congregation um, and they'll be your pastor for that entire transition process of grieving and letting go that former pastor and then starting to look ahead to what do we need and want in our next pastor and they'll help like write up the paper the congregation's paperwork and um they'll kind of just see you through that whole transition period until you've called a new pastor. Um, In this synod, they've recognized that there just isn't enough interim pastors to go around to do that. So they've started pairing up retired pastors who could be bridge pastors and interim consultants. So they kind of split that role up into two different people. So there'll be somebody there, the bridge pastor, is there on Sunday mornings, they lead worship, they do the pastoral care, they do all of that day-to-day stuff. And then the interim consultant, that's me, will go in and be the person that does all of the transition work. So I'll lead workshops to help explore who have you been? What is your history? Let's take a look and see if we notice any patterns that is healthy or unhealthy. Let's just be aware of those systems and be aware of your history. Now, who are you today? Like, what is your membership? 
What are your current ministries? What are you doing really well? What makes your heart sing? Where are you putting your energy and your time and your resources? Let's take a look at that. And then let's look to the future. Who do you want to be? Who do you think God is calling you to do and to be? And what gifts and abilities and a future pastor do you think will work best with that mission that you see? Um, and then I'll help them write up their paperwork with all of those things in mind. So then that way they have a very clear sense of who they are and what they're looking for in a pastor. And then as soon as they've resubmitted that paperwork, I say goodbye to them and they continue on with the bridge pastor until they've called a new pastor. So I've now completed my training for that, and I am currently in conversations with another past, uh, another congregation uh, to be their interim consultant, and should be starting in May, I think. It sounds, Sarah, like some of the story of your ongoing changing sense of call has been brought on by necessity circumstances, you know, the need to move to a different place, the need for more time, that kind of thing. And yet it seems like also part of that story was you being able to identify what were gifts you had or things that like tugged it like that. Yes. This is something I want to be a part about. How, how did you see those two things interplaying or what was that, the, the tension between them like for you? Well, I am a firm believer in the ELCA process of the interviewing and the paperwork. Um, and part of, the, of that is like, I feel like the places that I've been called to, I've been called to. I was called to those congregations in Indiana, even though they didn't go through the process, but I was called there for a reason. And I used my gifts and abilities there the best that I could. Um, but also it was just such a huge learning for me as to what I really needed when I was in that place. And I also want to, I feel called to try to prevent that from happening to other pastors, like who they needed wasn't necessarily me. And I don't think that we all recognize that until I was already <laughs> there. Um, so, and like now, like if they were calling me now with the training that I've had, I think I might be able to have helped them more. Um, but now that we've had the history that we've had, I don't, it's, it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't work. But um I, I feel like I, I need to help congregations be a healthy place for pastors. And so one way that I've been doing that is through the Vitality team. But then another way that I'm now doing it is through this interim consulting of helping them get, helping congregations go through the process of looking at their history and who they are now, and then think about their future. Um, because those three things are all very closely tied in together. And so I feel like I'm talking in circles. Did that answer your question, Steve? Yeah. Um, I guess another thing I'm curious about that's, that's maybe related. 
Um, and I don't know if this is what was at all part of your experience earlier in your like discernment of call. Um, but I, I, I know uh, for me, my first sense of call, as, as like I shared, like I pictured um, congregational pastoral ministries. That's what it means to be called by God. You're called to be a pastor and that's it. Like in the Bible, you might be called to be Moses or a prophet, but now you're called to be a pastor. That's how calling works. Uh, and really kind of a like very narrow sense of how one might be called. Uh, and it seems like that's grown and stretched for you um but i guess i'm wanting to hear like it, when when you were first discerning a call to ministry um how did you how did you picture that and how how did you go through the your your own internal growth of no a call can be more than just what i pictured at one time in my life maybe what was that like for you sure yeah yeah i definitely especially in seminary just thought about parish ministry you know congregational level ministry um because like, yeah, I, I, like that's, that had been my experience so far. I'd really only experienced ministry at the congregational level. And then that kind of understanding cemented itself in my brain in my first call. And even in my second call, because in both of those synods, the synodical level leadership all tended to be men who were older, like more, you know, middle age to like almost retirement age. And so I didn't really see that as an option either. Cause it's like, oh, well, like I'm never going to be doing anything on the Senate level. Cause that's for older guys to do. So I'm not even going to like worry about it. I'm just going to kind of focus on, on these congregations that I have been called to um, cause that's something I can do. And that's something that I, that I feel called to. And here in this place, the leadership on, in the Synod is not just older men. It's a very diverse, um, group of people. Um, one of the assistants to the Bishop in the Synod is a woman my age. And so seeing an assistant to the bishop as a young woman was kind of like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, I could do something on the synod level. And, you know, besides just, um, I guess previously I was on synod council, but that feels less like a hooray, this is something you're called to do. And more like, uh, you haven't had a turn yet, right? So you go do it. Um, and here it's, by, by being on the vitality team and now as an interim consultant, those are two things that are very much more on the synod level. And I've been enjoying it immensely. Um, I'm also been exploring what it would mean for me to also be a conference dean, um, which is also clearly synod level. And I kind of see it as more of a continuation of transitional ministry because the conference dean and the synod uh, conference deans, um, they're kind of in charge, not in charge. They, they work with congregations in their conference. So there's like maybe 10 in this conference. And when a pastor leaves, they're the ones to help figure out which interim or interim consultant is going to go and help them through that transition when they're ready for a pastor 
They help play the matchmaker of knowing who are the candidates right now and what are their gifts and abilities and what are these congregations looking for. And then they, you know, exchange the paperwork and go, hey, why don't you guys talk to each other? See if this might be a good fit for you guys. No, not a good fit. All right, congregation, why don't you try this guy? Oh, candidate, why don't you go try this congregation? Until, you know, there aren't any vacancies left, which never happened because as soon as one church finds somebody, another church goes, hey, we need somebody. Our pastor just retired. Um, but that's still up in the air. I've been nominated, but not elected. So that's, eh, who knows? I'm wondering, uh, Sarah, if you have had to wrestle at all with um, the idea that a changing sense of call doesn't mean that a previous time was wrong. Uh, and you kind of gave a nod to this a little bit ago. Like you talked about how uh, you sense uh, that even your time in our area it is it didn't go quite the way you might have imagined and there are things that you would do differently but that you have a sense of you were called there um like when 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 in so many situations in life we have this sort of like either either I'm right now or if I change my mind I was wrong now and I moved to the you know the correct answer later but it seems like your sense of call has been not that I, I was wrong to be looking at congregational ministry before and now I'm right that I'm looking at other things and it's not really a right or wrong but more like this was right in one season and this is the next right thing and this not to get all frozen two-ish but the next right thing uh has changed not that one was morally wrong or correct and the other was right uh but it, what 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 was that what was that like was that a struggle at all for you like uh a, a moving from it's not that I was wrong and now I'm right but it was right in this season and now another thing changed I think it's exactly as, as you put it Steve is that it's I was called to these places for that time and then I feel like I moved at the right time as well. Yeah. You know, there's part of me that says, oh, I should have moved sooner in, you know, this case or that case or whatever. But if I had moved sooner, then I might not be where I am now. Sure. You know, because if I had moved out of the Indiana, Pennsylvania area sooner, the congregations that were open for interviewing would have been different. And so I wouldn't have landed in this congregation that I'm in now, mm -hmm. where I very much feel like I am called. This is the place that I need to be in. Um, and I love them. Like, it's, it's quite amazing how quickly I felt that here of like, yes, this is the place I'm, I feel called to be. Even as I transition into doing more synod work, I still feel called to be their pastor. It's not like I no longer feel called to parish ministry and I'm like, oh yeah, I just want to do more and more synod stuff. It's like, no, really, I feel called to be a parish pastor. And then these other things, which are more on the synod level, I also feel called in, but it is, it goes hand in hand. Um, I wouldn't want to quit parish ministry altogether right now. Like, I don't know, maybe that might change in five, 10 years. But right now, I very much feel like I am a parish pastor who also feels called to do some of these synod level things. Sarah, as you're talking about your first couple calls, especially when you came here to Indiana, um, and how you, you realize it wasn't the right fit, and it, if paperwork would have been filled out, and all these other things. How does that 
like I, I see maybe uh, others might not see how that can help you, you know, in, in this current calling. And, and personally, I see that helping not just other churches, you know, as an interim, but helping other, like, especially new pastors. And, and what does that, how, how does that feel for you? Like, you know, maybe working with the pastors as well. You talked a lot, a lot about working with churches and helping them fill out their paperwork, but connecting, especially newer pastors, making sure that they don't, that they don't experience what you had to experience. Right. So as an interim consultant, I'll just be working with congregations, Okay. but helping them fill out their paperwork to be as authentic as possible helps pastors. Mm -hmm. Because when you read a congregation's paperwork, sometimes you can tell by reading it that they're trying to put their best foot forward and they're not trying to show any red flags. They're just like, they Mm want to get a pastor and their paperwork reflects that. Um, Whereas it's really helpful to be honest and authentic and to say, yeah, we're just a group of sinners trying to worship God. And we have some red flags. We need to work through them. Mm -hmm. Um, We would love to work through them with you, except for maybe this red flag, this one we kind of love and we're going to worship a little bit. But if you know about the red flags going in, you are so much more prepared. You are set up for success, Mm -hmm. even with those red flags, because you know they are there. Otherwise you're there and then they sneak up on you and you're not set up for success. Um, But if I am elected as a conference dean, then I do get to work with pastors too in this process to be able to talk to them about, you know, here's some of the history that the synod knows, Mm -hmm. um, just so you're aware, um, but also here's a support network for you that is built into the conference. Let's build you right up into this support system so that you're not all by yourself over in this congregation by yourself, but that you are actually part of a larger picture. Um, So let's, you know, connect you to other things so that you're not by yourself, even if you are a solo pastor. It sounds like in the interim consultant work, then one of the gifts that you bring, because at least that part isn't part of the official hierarchy structure, you know, of this, like, like there's a sense that you bring the face of being able to say to those congregations, like why it makes a difference for them to be as honest as possible. Mm-hmm. And you can say without having to tell all your stories. So like, let me tell you, it matters to be truthful. That's so much better, both for you as well as for the pastor. And I'm not just saying this because it's my job to be a matchmaker. I'm I'm here to help this happen as well as possible to make good matches, not just fast ones. <laughs> right. And most likely what will happen if I am elected conference dean is I will probably very intentionally not be an interim consultant in my conference. Yeah. Like I'll still be there at the dean's table when they're doing matchmaking stuff. But like, I'll probably excuse myself for that congregation um, or at least not participate in the conversation just because I feel like that's, yeah. I, I, I would be biased in ways as their interim consultant, you know? So like, yeah. uh, I wouldn't want to try to mix up those two roles. Yeah. And, and this is me saying this as person who has not been elected (laughs) like at the time of this recording the uh the vote is on sunday um and it's thursday so it's a couple of days away 
and I've clearly not ever been a conference dean. So I'm just like, hypothetical, this is what sure. I would probably try sure. to do. Sure. Who sure. knows what the reality is actually going to be? This is just lofty dreams Yeah. at this point of feeling called to put, feeling called to help congregations be as healthy as they can so that pastors can be healthy. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like the health of the congregation and the health of pastors go hand in hand in ways that we don't often think about. Yeah. yeah. I would say like going into my third appointment now and about the same amount of time, about seven, eight years, I'm just starting to figure out the questions I need to ask of a church mm-hmm. when I go in mm-hmm. um, because our system is so different than yours. Mm-hmm. And, it, and um that idea of getting the honest, like what is truthfully happening in a church versus what, what the, no offense to my DSs, but what they kind of paint this pretty picture of yeah. like, oh yeah, you're going to this great church and they're doing this and they're doing, they tell you about all the good things that they're doing. Right. And sometimes that's because they don't know the struggles. And sometimes that's just because they're like, this is where Bishop's appointing you. So here's where you're going. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can figure out the struggles when you get there. I once heard that every seven years, you kind of need to reinvent your ministry, whether you've been in the same place for those seven years, or even if you've made some moves in those seven years, that every seven years, you kind of have to reinvent your ministry. Um, Otherwise, you're kind of just doing the same stuff over and over again. And having gone through this uh, transitional ministry training, I don't think it's necessarily something that we should put seminarians in because I think you need to live and breathe Mm -hmm. ministry for a while before you take transitional ministry training. But I would love to recommend it to any pastor who's been in ministry for over seven years Mm -hmm. because transitional ministry, the way like broadly, it's usually talked about as just this time in between pastors, which again, for the Methodist church, looks very different than Lutheran churches Mm -hmm. because Methodist, you have like two weeks between pastors, whereas we generally have two years between pastors. And, but really we all go through transitions in our individual lives and in the congregation. Um, So I, I don't know, I recommend this training to any pastor who's been in ministry for a while um, because it's learning to walk with your congregation in those times of change. Mm -hmm. So something like what you went through, Sarah, has been popping up in some of the emails that I get from our conference level and from, and our district level. And if I weren't transitioning (laughs) personally into a new congregation, I might consider, you know, at least looking into a little bit more, but right now I'm just too, there's too much going on in my life. I can't do that training and an actual transition. Yeah, no, no. I I think that this would be better to take when you're not feeling the anxiety of the change. Um, But I can definitely see where it would be valuable, you know, regardless. In a year or two, Erica, I, I would recommend you take it if you have both the continuing education money and time. It's yeah. not cheap, not cheap at all, but I think it's worth it. Oh, and because we don't necessarily have transitional ministers like what you have in the Lutheran church, I still, th- I still see it being valuable because those first two years in a new church, 
is at, you know, yeah. whether you stay well beyond those two years and you start, you know, whether you stay like three more years and you serve for five years or you stay for another eight years and serve for 10 or, you know, or more, those two, those couple first years in a new position is transitional ministry. I'm reminded of an insight of um, Walter Brueggemann's. He talks about in the Psalms, there are like three major motions in all the Psalms in the Bible. There's Psalms of orientation, which is things are going fine. There's Psalms of disorientation of like, what is happening? But everything is changing, uh, often lament. And then there's Psalms of reorientation of we came through the dark valley and now something new is happening. And I, I, if, if I remember rightly, he sort of talks about how it's easiest sometimes for us to spot God in the first and the last, the, you know, the, the orientation, things are going fine. It's sunny. It's good. God must be with me. And when you have come through the storm and okay, God's here, but the, it's, it's maybe most important to discover that God is there in those times of transition that are those disoriented times. And it sounds like your own ministry right now, Sarah, is having come through personal transition. You're now being equipped to help congregations in those times that can feel where it's most necessary to know God's with them through those times of transition. That's the hope. Yeah. Well, thank, thanks for that ministry. Thanks uh, on, on behalf of Christ Church. <laughs> thank you for doing good work for uh, people going through that kind of time. Anything else you want to make sure we know about your sense of ongoing, developing sense of call? No. Nope. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, well then, uh, we'll conclude our series, taking a look at our ongoing developing sense of call journeys, uh, in our next episode here on crazy faith talk. Join us then. See y'all. Bye.